I do most of my banking online. Now I hardly ever get into a bank branch or a bank office.、Uh, and the problem with that is, when you bank online, is that you don't get lollipops when you bank online, right? Like, and I like Q and B because they don't have like those generic lollipops. They have dum dum lollipops. And you ever get one of those dum dum lollipops that it's got that purple question mark or on it? It's the mystery flavor, right? You don't know what you're gonna have. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't like it. Well. Just so you know, this Sunday is that mystery flavor dum dum lollipop. Here's why: we finished a series last week. We finished a series that we called "What Jesus Started," and our mission here at Calvary Church is to continue what Jesus started. You can't continue what Jesus started if you don't know what Jesus started. So we took a whole look at the Book of John, and we finished that series last week. Next week, we start a new series where we're going to take a look at the church. We're going to take a look at the ancient church, the future church, the present church. We're going to start that series next week. This week, you get a dum dum lollipop. <laughs> you just get something that we、uh, looked at, and I, I was looking at it. And you're going to get something that maybe is something I was interested in. Maybe something I feel that you are needing to hear. Definitely something that I have been reading and just studying、uh, in my own devotion times as well. And the title of today's message is called "The Perfect in the Storm." The perfect in the storm. And I got that title after thinking about a movie from the year 2000, "The Perfect Storm."、Uh, it, it was a, a movie that starred George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg, and it was about this fisherman, these fishing boat, and they went out to to get fish. And there was this perfect storm. There was a hurricane. There was all sorts of stuff, and it was a life-threatening situation. And it was an intense movie. It was intense because you don't know what's going to happen. And then there was moments of just scariness and angst and all sorts of stuff like that. Well, that movie is actually based on a true story. But actually, that movie is actually based on a book that was written about that true story. And in the book, there's an interesting paragraph. In the book, the author is introducing the captain of the boat. Albert Johnson, and he writes this: More people are killed on fishing boats per capita than in any other job in the United States. Johnson would be better off parachuting into forest fires or working as a cop in New York City. I don't know what that was about, but <laughs> then long lining off the Flemish Cap. Johnson knows many fishermen who have died, and more than he can count who have come horribly close. And I read you that quote just to kind of talk about the dangers of these fishermen on the sea—the dangers of being in a storm in the in the middle of the sea, in the middle of just being on this boat. And the reason I read that to you is because we're talking about a story where a storm occurs and the disciples are on a boat. But if you grew up in the church, what happens is is that you may have learned this story in Sunday school, and what happens is we sanitize it. There's a reason we don't take kids to watch the perfect storm in the movie theaters. It's too intense. It's too scary. But what happens when we flannel graph these stories? That's a throwback word. <laughs> when we sanitize these stories,、um, what happens is is we we just kind of 
lose a little bit of the weight of it, lose a little bit of the intensity of it. And so I want you to actually have in your mind just that concept of how scary a situation it is in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, and have that perfect storm intensity as we read this story. In Mark chapter 4, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So today I'm going to tell you right up front what we're going to talk about. Okay? Today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the leading of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus. The leading of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus. So let's get to the leading of Jesus. I love Mark's account of this story. This, this story is found in, in other Gospels, but I love Mark's account of this story because of some of the details that he has in here. And one of the details that I find is very interesting, and, and I'm going to actually kind of like peel back the layers of, of, of curtains and peel back the mask here so you can actually get into my warped mind as I read some of the Bible. You, you'll see how my mind wanders as I read Bible stories. One of the details that I found really interesting was that it talks about how there were other boats. In this account, it talks about how there were other boats. So naturally, my mind went to, who were in the boats? Who were in the boats? Well, we don't know. But I want to know who were in the boats. Were they family members? How about spouses? Were there any kids in the boats? Other followers of Jesus? We don't know. All we know is that they were part of the group. All we know is that they were part of that community. All we know is that they knew each other. They, they were people that were cared for by each other. And I find that interesting because whenever you look, like I said, like if you're growing up in Sunday school, if you're growing up learning this in kids' ministry, you'll see a picture of this story, and all you'll see is this one boat, like the sanitized version of this one boat of Jesus and the disciples. But there were other boats. And for someone like me, that ratchets up the intensity because it's one thing for me to go through a storm. It's one thing for me to go through a dangerous situation. It's another thing for me to know that there's someone else that I care about that's in that storm, and I can't do anything about it. Not only that, these boats now become threats. Because it's such a crazy storm, you have to worry about hitting a boat or colliding into a boat. This is a life-threatening situation. This is intense. Let's not minimize this story. This is a live-or-die situation. They very well could die in this setting. So my question is, how did they get there? I mean, if this is such a dangerous situation, if this is such a, a, a scary situation, if this is such a mess, how did they find themselves in the midst of the storm? They listened to Jesus. Look at the beginning of the story. Look at verse 35. If Jesus hadn't given them the directions that they did, they would never have been in the storm. 
They only went out in the boats because Jesus told them to. It's not like the storm surprised Jesus. He's fully man, but he's also fully God. It didn't surprise Jesus. Jesus gave them directions. They followed the directions, and they ended up in a storm. Guys, sometimes, sometimes following Jesus will lead us into a storm. Sometimes following Jesus will lead us into a storm. And I think that goes contrary to what we normally think. I think that goes contrary. Usually we think that if we follow Jesus, that will solve everything and there'll be no more storms in life. And sometimes we get to the point where we're thinking that there should be no storms and we have this disillusionment like, I'm following Jesus, I'm following his leading. Why are there storms? Sometimes following Jesus will lead us into a storm. And I think I need to go off on a tangent for a little bit, just kind of touch on that just for a little bit if you, if you allow me. Because far too often, far too often, I think we forget that. I think we forget that there are storms in life and that we are told that there will be storms in our life. And far too often I hear from people, far too often I hear from people in a counseling setting or in a conversation, I hear this phrase, well, doesn't God just want me to be happy? Doesn't God just want me to be happy? God's goal is not to make you happy. God's goal is to bring you to him. And it is only when you are with him that you can experience joy. You see, cultural happiness and biblical joy are different. Cultural happiness and biblical joy are different. Happiness in our culture is usually associated with freedom from obstacles to my desires or my wants or my dreams. That's not the joy of the Bible. Joy in the Bible is oftentimes found in the middle of obstacles. Joy in the Bible is oftentimes found in the middle of storms as we press into Jesus. So if you're at the point where you, this is my tangent, if you're at the point where you're about to make a questionable decision based on the thought, well, God just wants me to be happy, I strongly urge you to reconsider that. I strongly urge you to reconsider that. God does bring storms into our lives, and at times he leads us into those storms. You see, it's in the storms that God oftentimes reveals himself to us. It's usually in the storms where our eyes are open to who God really is. Let's take a look at the revelation of Jesus. In this story, we get a beautiful picture of both the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. We get a beautiful picture of, of Jesus just being a person, and we get a beautiful picture of Jesus being fully God. And the Bible goes out of its way to establish the humanity of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gets hungry. Uh, in Mark chapter 3, he gets angry. In John chapter 11, he cries. There's the accounts of the crucifixion where he dies. And in this story, he takes a nap. He takes a nap. I think that's awesome. You know why I think that's awesome? It's because Mark thought it was important that we knew that he took a nap on a cushion. This is where my warped mind goes. What kind of cushion does Jesus like? Does he like flat, firm cushions? Big, soft cushions? I'm going to ask him that one day. I'm going to say, what kind of cushion do you like? That's where my warped mind goes. But the question is, why did he take a nap? 
Why was he asleep? Because he was tired. He was tired. He had had a long day. He was tired. He falls asleep because he is human. He is fully man. And this story gives us a beautiful picture of the humanity of Jesus. But then it transitions and gives us a beautiful picture of his divine nature. It gives us a beautiful picture of his divine nature and it's expressed in a powerful way. My wife and I have two puppies at home, Ollie and Ruby. They're both miniature Labradoodles. Ollie is my wife's dog. Ruby is mine. Ruby is the better dog. (laughs) They sleep in our room. And occasionally in the middle of the night, one of the kids will get up and they'll go to the bathroom and it will wake up one of the dogs. My wife will say that it's Ruby. She's wrong because Ruby's the better dog. And this dog will start barking up a storm, waking me up. And my response is, quiet, shh. That's my response. I got woken up, quiet, shh. It's almost like you get a picture of that with Jesus, but instead of two puppies, it's the entirety of a sea and a storm. He's woken up from a nap, and it's quiet, be still. In fact, the word for quiet that's actually used in that, it's more like, hush, be still. Now, I could try to do that one day. You could take me out on a boat if you want to. In stormy weather. And I can get up and I can say, quiet, be still. Nothing's going to happen. (laughs) Except I will get wet. You know why? Because I'm not God. I don't have the authority to tell the waves and the storm to be quiet. But Jesus isn't the same as you and I. Jesus expresses his authority. Jesus expresses his power, and he expresses who he is. You see, oftentimes I think this story is talked about in an incomplete way. Oftentimes I hear this story, and usually the point that is given in this story is something like this. You will have storms in life, but take heart. Jesus can calm the storms. There's truth in that. That's actually true, but it's incomplete. The point of this story isn't that Jesus can calm the storm. The point of this story is why Jesus can calm the storm. It's because Jesus is fully God. He has complete authority. And I love what happens to the disciples as Jesus expresses his authority. I love what happens to the disciples as he just just reveals his nature. The disciples enter into the story. At the beginning of the story, they enter terrified. They're terrified because of all the storms around them. They're terrified because of all that's happening around them. They're still terrified at the end of the story. They're still terrified at the end of the story. They're not calm, cool, and collected. They're still terrified. But they're terrified because of what they had just seen. They're terrified because they look at Jesus and they're like, who is this? They know that only one person can calm the storm with but a word, and that is God. And the disciples in awe are looking and are terrified and say, who is this? Who is this that's in the boat with us? Who is this? There's a book in the Old Testament called Psalms. 
It's a, it's a book of poetry and songs. And, and there's a psalm in that book, Psalm 107, that, that is just a psalm that talks about praising God and praises for who he is and for his works. It's, it's a Thanksgiving psalm. It's, it's a psalm of praise. It declares the wonder of God. Listen to how similar this praise psalm of God sounds in relationship to the story we just read. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up the tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. At times, I wonder if the disciples ever thought of this psalm. They had certainly heard it. They might have even had memorized it. I wonder as they talked, maybe they were having some fish sandwiches later on, and they were thinking back to this time when they were on this boat, and, Jesus, and as they're talking, I'm like, you know that Psalm 107? That, that really sounds like, I wonder if they were thinking about that. You see, this story is proclaiming the divine authority of Jesus. The same authority that is talked about in Psalm 107 is expressed by Jesus in Mark chapter 4. So this story proclaims the leading of Jesus and it proclaims the revelation of Jesus. And finally, we're left with one more thing. It proclaims the presence of Jesus. Where was Jesus during the storm? Don't tell me on the comfy cushion. Where was Jesus in the storm? He was right there. He was right there. He was with them. Jesus will never lead you to a storm that he won't lead you through. Jesus will never lead you to a storm that he won't lead you through. That means that Jesus will never leave you. It also means that sometimes we need to remember that he is there. As I was reading this story and I got to verse 37, again, my mind wanders and I just start thinking about things. And I started to think about the word waves. In verse 37, it says this. It says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. And that just seemed like common sense, right? That usually if there's a storm at sea, there's waves that happen. This is where my mind went. How many waves did it take before they woke up Jesus? Right? How many waves did it take till they finally turned to Jesus? Why didn't they, as soon as the clouds started to get a little darker, they'd be like, oh, go wake up Jesus. Why wasn't when, when the first drops of rain that started to come, they were like, hey, Jesus, hey, nap time's over, come on. Why didn't they wake up? When the first wave hit, why didn't they turn? I don't know. But I tend to think it's something that happens with me uh, as well. I tend to think that either A, they thought, well, he's sleeping. We really don't want to wake him up. I don't want to bother him right now. Or B, they're like, 
These are skilled fishermen. They've been in storms before. They know what they're doing. I'm certain that they thought they could have rode out the storm on their own. And so they were relying on their own skill sets. They were relying on their own abilities. And like, we got this until it finally was too many waves to the point they finally realized, no, we don't. And it's at that point that they turned to Jesus. How many waves does it take? In the movie, The Perfect Storm, that I mentioned earlier, there's a part where George Clooney, as the captain, has to, he's going into this storm and the waves are all over the place and he's got to do this crazy turn and, and, it, and it's scary. This is a point where they could die. And Mark Wahlberg's character comes up and he goes, okay, you got to wait for it, you got to hit it. And he goes, Mark looks at George Clooney and he says, what happens if it doesn't work? George Clooney says, well, then we pray. Why is that always the order? Why is that always the order in my own life as well? Why is it that like, well, I'm going to try this, and I'm going to try this, and I'm going to try this, and then I'll pray? That reverse, that needs to be reversed. That needs to be flipped. It needs to start right at the beginning. Well, we are going to pray. And as we seek his leading, then we know what to do. We're going to turn to the one who created the waves. That's what we're going to do. I do that way too often. And then you know what happens to me? You know what? You know what? This, is, this, is, this is when I read this story and, and I'm just like, oh, that really reminds me of myself in a bad way. You know what happens? I try to get things done on my own and I try to rely on my own skill sets. I'm like, if I work hard enough or if I just try hard enough, if I do this or if I do that, we'll get through this storm. I just got to do this. I just got to do that. Whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then finally, when I think to myself, okay, I got to turn to God, I act like a disciple. What do the disciples do? They're like, don't you care? Don't you care? We're about to drown. Don't you care? Far too many times when I finally approach Jesus, it's like, what's going on? Do you not care? Don't you care what's happening here? Where are you? Like this, this stinks right now. What I'm going through stinks and it's hard. Where are you? Don't you care? And, and God, oftentimes it just reminds me, he goes, what are you talking about? I've been here the whole time. Waiting for you to turn to me. Waiting for you to turn to me. How much of a contrast is it of how I respond or the disciples respond or maybe you respond to Jesus' response to the storm. I asked you why Jesus was asleep in the middle of a storm, and I told you because he was tired. You know why else he was asleep? Because he had full trust and confidence in his Father. Jesus rebukes his disciples. He says, do you not have faith? Why are you afraid? your faith. But Jesus had just modeled for them a beautiful picture of faith. He sleeps in the middle of the storm, completely content that his father is in control. Completely trusting and knowing that his time isn't done yet. So no matter what's happening, he is trusting his father and he takes a nap in the middle of the storm. It's 
Sometimes it's not just about remembering to turn to Jesus. Sometimes it's about remembering who Jesus is when we turn to him. Because some of you may be in the middle of a storm right now. In fact, I know that some of you are in the middle of a storm right now. Some of you have way intense storms. And some of you may need to be reminded, or maybe someone here needs to hear it for the first time, that Jesus is right there waiting for you to turn to him. But that storm is scary. That storm is painful, yes. But in Hebrews 13, we are told that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, but that storm has dark clouds, but those waves seem awfully high. Well, maybe you just need to understand who it is who is never going to leave you nor forsake you. Because here's what it means when we say that Jesus is right there. You see, the one who can calm the sea with but a word, the one who can calm the storm with but a word, the one who can calm the waves with but a word, the one who can calm the wind with but a word, was the same one who with a word created the sea, created the storm, created the wind, created those clouds. It is the all-powerful God who you turn to. It is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what it means when I say, go and approach Jesus. It is that God who you turn to in the midst of the storm. And there is no storm in any of our lives that is bigger than him. None. None. And that's the point of this story. This story is about proclaiming that divine authority and power and nature of Jesus. That's the Jesus who is with you. And he never left. No matter how it feels, no matter how scary it is, he never left. He's just waiting there for you to turn to him. So turn. Turn. Stop trying to get through the storm on your own. It's not going to work. Turn. And look at the almighty God who loves you with a love that is more powerful than you can ever imagine. There is no storm. There is nothing that is too big for him. And he will not abandon you. He will not abandon you. This is what we learn from the story. Jesus is there right in the middle of the storm. But not only is he there, he is greater than the storm. He is greater than any storm. And he will never lead you to a storm that he will not lead you through. I need to stop looking at the storm around me and start looking at the one who is with me. I need to stop looking at the storm around me and start looking at the one who is with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. When we understand that you can calm the storm, that's one thing. When we understand why you can calm the storm, that's a whole different ballgame. So I ask you that you would make yourself real to us, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that you would reveal that you are right there with us. 
God, there are people in this room who are going through storms. There are people who are in Quakertown who are going through storms. There are people who are watching online who are going through storms, and they are intense. I ask you that you would give them the strength to stop looking at the storm and to turn and look at you. Help them to give up relying on their own strength. Help them to give up relying on their own abilities. Help them to give up trying to get through the storm on their own and help them to turn to you. Lord, be with them. Allow them to see that you are with them. And bring peace in the midst of the storm, not because the storm somehow became peaceful, but because you are with them in the midst of the storm. Bless them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.